Hey, good morning, Faith Family. I want to say hello to those that are gathered in Lakeville and also in the venue. I invite all of you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to continue in our series called Set Free. Uh, I joked with the Saturday night service last night that I was tempted uh, to teach this morning from the book of Revelation and how snow in October is a sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> And uh, that the end is near, so repent, right? But I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, we're going to stay in our Set Free series in Galatians. And what an awesome series this has been. What a, what a wonderful book to be able to look at. And what we're talking about, if you're new with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. We're talking about freedom. What would it look like? What would it mean if our life was truly free? And that's what God wants for us. God wants us to live a life of freedom. And the entire book of Galatians is addressing that issue. And so we're going to pick up this morning in Galatians 3 and verse 15. And I'm going to ask in all of our locations, if you're able, to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Paul is writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that these words come to us with the very authority of God. And Paul says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Uh, Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. I didn't say offsprings, referring to many, but one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, did not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make that promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So what, why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions and until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary uh, uh, implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Would you pray for me this morning? Let's ask God to speak to us and teach us uh, some, some life-changing truth. God, we bow before you now and we pray for that. Because um, this freedom isn't just to be talked about, it's to be lived and experienced. And uh, Lord, I believe it's real and I believe that you want to set us free uh, today. And so I pray that uh, you, your spirit would now work through your word, do what I cannot do, and only your spirit can, all to the glory of Jesus. And we ask it in his name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's biting me. Those were the words that Mike shouted as he clenched his teeth and tried to shake the bear off his arm. He'd been, tra- he'd been tracking the bear for about two weeks, uh, and he, when he finally found his opportunity, he came up behind it, he grabbed it, and he drug it to the ground. 
Now, normally that would sound like the behavior of a madman or somebody from Lakeville. But, but, but Mike wasn't even, I'm in trouble. Mike wasn't even uh, trying to hunt the bear. He wasn't even trying to, to hurt the bear. Mike was actually a biologist from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation, and he was trying to help the bear. You see, this small black bear cub had been rummaging through the garbage and he got his head stuck in a jar. All God's people said, aww, right? In fact, it's what got him the nickname Jarhead. It's not a bad joke. It's actually what they called him. Uh, and, And I know a story like that for you might seem silly, but it was actually very, very serious. You see, because that bear got that jar trapped and caught on its head, he wasn't able to eat. He was hardly able to get anything to drink. The the air circulation in a hot Florida July summer uh, was cutting the air circulation off. And so for two weeks, Mike tracked this cub. And every time he would try to approach the cub, mama bear wouldn't let him get close. And so finally what he had to do was shoot the mama bear with a tranquilizer just long enough to grab the cub, kicking and clawing and biting. And he finally was able to remove the jar from his head and set the cub free. Now, what struck me about the story was what Mike said when he was asked why for almost two weeks he went to all that effort, and here's what he said, and it'll it'll preach. If we had not set it free, it was only a matter of time until it died. If we hadn't set it free, it was only a matter of time until it died. And I thought about that. I thought that is such a picture of how so many people live their life. How every one of us here, Lakeville venue, all of us are jarheads. In fact, right now, turn to your neighbor in all of our locations, look at him in the eye and just say, you jarhead, go ahead and do it right now. Some of you, some of you have been wanting to say that to your spouse for years. And I just gave you permission. Now, now right here, right here. I don't mean that we literally walk around with a jar on our head. That's not what I mean. But here's what I mean. Here's why this is such a great picture. is because you and I have a tendency to rummage around in the garbage of this world. And what happens is we end up getting stuck. Stuck in debt, stuck in addiction, stuck in approval, stuck in man-made traditions. And those things can cut off our spiritual food. It can dry us up of any spiritual nourishment. It can cut off the air circulation of our joy in God. We do the same thing. We really are jarheads. We rummage around and we end up in bondage. But praise God that he loves us so much. He, like God so loved the jarheads that he came into the world and through the power of the gospel wants to set us free. 
I proclaim to you this morning that Jesus died on the cross so that we could live in the freedom of the cross. And isn't that what Paul wants us to get in Galatians? Look, look back at chapter 1 and verse 3. When Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, watch, who gave himself, say this in all of our locations, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Right here. Jesus didn't die to get you freedom someday. He died to give you freedom today. The present evil age. We've been walking around in a present evil age, rummaging in garbage, and we have found ourselves stuck. Well, Jesus died to free us from that. And it's happening. It really is happening. Emails that I received this week go like this. One said, this Galatian series has taken me deeper into freedom than I'd ever known before. I was brought up in church but I found myself addicted to drugs, alcohol, and the party life. I went on a mission trip and God did a work in my life. I came home free from addiction, but I thought the hard work of freedom was done. I love this. Yet here I am seven years later and God through Galatians has shown me a stronghold in my life. It's performance-based Christianity. I obsessively work to make God, others, and myself happy with me. I feel like a failure if I don't measure up. But in Galatians, God has exposed this sin to me, watch, and I feel a mountain has been lifted in my life. The pressure of performance is gone, and I am ready to serve Jesus out of relationship. Freedom! Another email this week said, thank you for this series. I didn't even know the chains of religion I had shackling my heart and mind until I felt them lifting. But now I feel as if I'm walking in a whole new world saturated with God's grace. And one final one said, I've never experienced a more applicable and convicting series. I've been praying for months that God would help me understand and live in my identity. Every week strips away another lie that I've been believing. And the funny thing is, I would have said I didn't believe them. In my mind, I've known the truth, but I've continued to act like I need to earn love and make up for my shortcomings. I am in the middle of a process of being free, and I am so thankful. Hey, I ain't talking about freedom someday. I'm talking about freedom today. And Jesus died to give us that freedom. So what is at the core? What's at the foundation of the bondage? Or let me ask it a different way. Why do we rummage around in the garbage of the world? Answer, because every single one of us, every one of us is trying to justify ourselves in some way. Maybe if I'm a better father, maybe if I'm more successful, maybe if I'm more liked, maybe if people think I'm beautiful, maybe if I this... I can justify who I am. And maybe if I do enough, maybe even God would be pleased with me. Maybe God would even accept me. In other words, we are fundamentally convinced that performance is the key to freedom. When the truth is, performance is simply slavery. 
You think you're swimming closer to the beach, but you're actually being drawn out into the bondage of works. Because you can't do enough to perform to justify yourself. That is exactly what Paul shows us in Galatians 3. In fact, it's the argument that he's been making throughout Galatians. Look at the problem of performance. God, speak to us this morning. I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart. I want freedom for you this morning. And you're going to have to see the problem with thinking that performance will get you out. Notice, for instance, in verse 10 of Galatians 3. Paul says, for all who rely on the works of the law. Now, for them, that's the Mosaic law. For us, it may be other laws that you, like if I do this law, if I do these works, then I'll be good enough. So all who rely on that are under a curse. Why? For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So everybody right here, Lakeville Venue, do you know why performance won't work? You ready? Do you know why you're thinking, my thinking, that maybe if I do enough, I'll measure up? Here's why it won't work, because the path of performance requires perfection. You going to do the law? Well, guess what? You got to do all the law. Because if you break one law, you broke the law. And so you're, you're under this curse, you're under this bondage, and you can't get out. Uh, for, notice, for instance, in verse 22. Oh, man, this is so much fun. Uh, but the scripture, I think he's talking about the Old Testament law here, imprisoned everything under sin. Look at verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until faith would be revealed. Here is what Paul is saying. This is so important. Notice this on the screen. When you try to justify your life or when you make attempts to be right by works, you end up becoming enslaved to your works. You see, you think you're digging to freedom, but you're actually digging deeper into bondage because the law doesn't bring freedom. It brings captivity. And that is why your life often feels like this. You're stuck in the same patterns. You're always seeking the same approval from the same people. You're always trying to measure up. And what you're really doing is running in circles. And we kind of laugh at that, but that's like every day for you. You're in this constant cycle. I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. It's killing you. Or your day feels like this. I got to lift more than I lifted yesterday. I got to be better than I was yesterday. I got to pull myself up only to crash. And again... Stop and be honest. That's, that's imagery of your life. Because you're thinking, I gotta justify myself, I gotta justify myself, I gotta justify, but you can't. You're going deeper in bondage, not freedom. Why is it? Because get it in our brains, God. The weight of performance is too heavy to carry. The law was a curse. It it held you captive. It imprisons you. And the more you try to fight your way out, the deeper you go in. Which is why, y'all with me? 
It's why when the Judaizers say it's Jesus plus the law, it's why when our, not a dig, but when our Catholic friends say it's Jesus plus the sacraments, when others say, uh, maybe they don't even say Jesus, it's just be the best person you can be, that's not freedom, that's bondage. Because no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be able to justify yourself. That's the problem of performance. Now, y'all with me? Lakeville's with me. Venue's with me, right? Just because you can't get out doesn't mean you can't get out. Just because you can't get out doesn't mean you can't get out. What I mean is just because you can't get out doesn't mean there's not a way out. In fact, what if there was a different pathway in life? What if there was a different approach of life? And that approach wasn't performance, but that approach was promise. That would be the path to freedom, and it's exactly what Paul shows us next, verse 15. Uh, Verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. I don't say offsprings, referring to many, but one, and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, Paul goes Old Testament on him, and it's brilliant, right? Now, I, so, some of you, Lakeville Venue, some of you are new to church. You're new to the Bible. And I need you to give me just about five minutes. We're going to go down into the weeds. And, and some of the nerds are going to love this. Like, yeah, let's go Old Testament and, and you know, nerdy stuff, biblical nerdy stuff. And, and I'm a biblical nerd, so I love that too. We're going to go into the weeds for just a minute, but hang back because we're coming back to your life. But I want you to see what Paul is doing here, and it's so brilliant. And, and it's just exposing the insanity of the pathway of performance. He's saying, all right, all right, all right. So you're saying, Judaizers, you ought to go back to the Mosaic Law to that covenant. Well, let's talk about the covenants for just a minute, can we? There's a covenant to Abraham and a covenant to Moses. Y'all with me? Say yes. By the way, what's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement that's made by two people that's very, very serious commitment. Uh, It's kind of like a marriage. Marriage is a covenant, by the way. Um, And and in the Old Testament, what they would do is they would sacrifice an animal. Uh, This is kind of gross, but they would put part of the carcass over here and part of the carcass over there. And then the two parties that were making this agreement would walk down the middle. It was a way of basically saying only death will break this bond. Only death will break this agreement. So it was a very, very serious thing. And there were two types of covenants. One was conditional. That means uh, in order for you to get the promise, you have to do certain things. Y'all with me? Say yes. Unconditional promise was this. You'll get the blessing or you'll get the, the, what I promise no matter what you do. I will fulfill my end of the bargain regardless of what you do. One's conditional, one is unconditional. Covenant to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. God makes, right here, an unconditional promise to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you people, and through you there's going to be a blessing, an inheritance. We know it as salvation. It's coming through you. And then in uh, Genesis chapter 15, he says, and I'm going to bring that through your offspring. 
Singular, not plural. Not through the people of Israel, or not the people of Israel, but an offspring, a person. Genesis 17, y'all with me? This is so much fun. Nerds are like, I love this, all right? Genesis 17, uh, God gives Abraham a sign to remind him of that promise. It's the sign of circumcision and everybody gets uncomfortable. They're like, do we really have to talk about that again? All right. Because honestly, we really don't know how to think about circumcision uh, in in the New Testament. But listen, circumcision was not a sign or or an act for God's uh, 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 approval. Uh, It was a sign of God's promise. Let me say it this way. Give me a little bit of liberty. It was a sign placed on the male organ to remind the people of God that a son is on the way. An offspring is going to be brought into the world. And that offspring is going to fulfill the promise, the promise of salvation. And that offspring, Paul says, is Christ. Promise fulfilled. God said he'd do it. And he did it. Covenant 2. Almost done, nerds. Covenant 2 was the covenant given to Moses in Israel 430 years later. It was a covenant that was based on conditions. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you will not be. And it's, it's kind of like you think about what you do with your kids sometimes. If you obey, uh, you get ice cream. And who doesn't love ice cream? Like, woohoo for ice cream. Or if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. It's, there are conditions that you have to live up to. And, and Israel repeatedly, just read your Old Testament, repeatedly breaks the covenant. And, oh, this is so good, this is so good. Where do they spend most of their time? Bondage. So you got two promises. You got two covenants. One is unconditional, one is conditional. One was based on performance, the other was based on promise. So what is Paul asking right here? Galatians, which one brought the blessing of God? Not performance, promise. And the only thing you can do with a promise is believe it. Which means you're not justified by works, you're justified by faith. You can't justify yourself. The only way you can be acceptable, the only way you can receive the inheritance, the only way you can be blessed in God is if you have the faith that Abraham had. You just say, I believe you, God. Isn't that great news? Isn't that a powerful argument to Paul's point? So why would you try to earn acceptance when all you have to do is receive it? Or think of it this way on the screen. Promise is believe and you're accepted. Performance is do and you're accepted and it will never work. And so now I'm back to your life. Lakeville venue, everybody, I'm after your heart right here and mine. We are not going to be free until we stop living under performance and start living under promise. Do you want to be free today? Do you? I'm not talking about, talking about freedom. I'm talking about living freedom. It starts when you get out from under your performance and you rest under His promise in Jesus Christ because He's enough. That's where freedom starts 
That's where freedom lives. Now, the response would then be from the Galatians and certainly the Judaizers is, why all this law bashing? It sounds like you're saying the Mosaic law is, is like meaningless and unimportant and, and no significance at all. Paul, Paul addresses that next. He says, no, 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 look at verse 19. Why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring, Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made. Look at verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Come on, if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness indeed would be by the law. But the Scripture, that is the Old Testament law, imprisoned everything under sin. Why? What was the purpose of it? Why did the law imprison people under sin? So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Brilliant! Paul's saying the law is necessary. The law is poor and important. We're not bashing works. We're just saying works can't save you. And how do you know works can't save you? Because the law. Here's the beautiful thing. The, 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 the Abrahamic covenant, all right, nerds, the, the Mosaic covenant, uh, they don't contradict each other. They complement each other. Because the Mosaic law proves you can't perform so you'll have to rely on a promise. It's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. Because without it, you wouldn't know you're a jarhead. But because of the law, you see all, uh, all you're falling short. And you look to God and say, help. Help. I trust you. You're all I need. I can't do this. And you may think that feels weak, but I'm telling you, that's freedom. That's freedom. I'm reminded of um, a famous story in Augustine's life um, where he would steal his neighbor's pears. It's never been a temptation in my life. Uh, steal my neighbor's brownies. Ah, that might be a temptation. Pears, never struggled with that one. But Augustine is 16 years old, and he knew it was wrong to steal. There was a law that he knew stealing's wrong, but he did it anyway. Y'all got kids like that? Mine don't, but yours might. My, I've never had that issue. So Augustine's dealing with this. There was this law that I knew that I shouldn't steal, and here's what he says. Um, Those pears were truly pleasant to the sight. But it was not them that my soul lusted for. I had an abundance of pears. I stole them simply that I might steal. My soul gratification in them was my own sin, which I was pleased to enjoy. If or for if any one of those pears entered my mouth, the only good flavor it had was the sin of eating it. Do you see what he's saying? Knowing not to steal didn't prevent my sin. It revealed my sin and my pleasure in it. Commands convict, but they can never change. The law, your works, they can't transform your life. It's like I can command my kids to eat carrots. They don't like carrots. Trust me, they get it from their father, right? They don't, and I can command them to eat carrots, but I can't make them like it. 
law exposes who we are, but it can't change us into something new. Uh, John Bunyan, not Paul, said once, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings because it bids us fly and gives us wings. Don't you see the law was a good thing? Because it exposed the pathway of performance is the pathway to slavery. That you would stop and look to the promise of God. Which means this morning, um, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. I want to show you what Paul does next, and then we're going to camp there for just a minute with some application. Oh, God, help us. Um, It is time for us to get over, by God's grace, living law-based lives. Let me show you what he says in the text. I'll, I'll show you what it means and then bring it into our world. Look at verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, that is, faith in Christ, we are no longer under a guardian powerful. Here's what Paul's saying. Hang with me for a sec. Uh, In the ancient Near East, there were, uh, they would often have servants in the home that would like oversee the the children. At times, it was kind of the modern day expression of a babysitter. Anybody use a a babysitter? Everybody uh, done that before? Um, and, And so here's what we know about babysitting, at least I hope. There comes a point in life when you don't need one, at least I hope. Um, babysitters are temporary. If you're a normal 40-year-old man and you still need a babysitter, uh, that's a problem. And all God's people said, amen, that's a problem, right? We, we know like that's silliness. If you're 40 years old and you still need a babysitter, that like something's wrong here. Well, what is Paul saying? The law served, it was like a guardian. It was like a babysitter. It served its purpose. But now that Christ has come, you don't need the law. In other words, part of being free is growing up. You say, what do you mean grow up? What do you mean like and, and, and I'm not blasting your immaturity. I'm just saying, don't stay there. Like, we need to be growing in Christ, and part of growing in Christ is saying, I'm not going to live by the law anymore. I'm going to live out of a relationship with Jesus. Five very quick, you're thinking five, he doesn't do five very quick, but five very quick implications of what it would look like if our life wasn't based on law but was truly free. Number one, all preach preacher. Immature Christians evaluate church on tradition instead of mission. Here's what immature Christians do, because they're still obsessed with the law, is they define church based on whether or not it checks off all the boxes that they want for church. It's law-based. 
Did you sing the kind of music I like? Does everybody dress the way I think they should dress? We're not talking about biblical things. We're talking about you have certain laws and you're judging church based on that tradition or law rather than, do you know what I care about? It's not whether or not you have a tie on or not. What I care about is the mission Jesus has given us. What I care about is exalting Jesus Christ. What I care about is the gospel. Mature churches who aren't law-based did it. What I mean is it ain't about your tradition, it's about Jesus. It ain't about the law you're trying to follow, it's about the offspring that has come and exalting Him and worshiping Him and glorifying Him. Grow up or you're never going to be free. I didn't just say that to you, I just said that to every church in America. All right? Grow up, or we're never going to be free in Jesus. Number two, uh, immature Christians base unity on law instead of love. Uh, quick example of this in the Bible. Do you remember Paul addresses the divisions on one group is like, I, I think you should be able to eat meat. Well, I don't think you should be able to eat meat offered to idols. Well, but, but I think that you should. Well, but I don't, I don't think that you... And, and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Paul says, stop! Your unity isn't about meat. Your unity is Jesus. The world will not know Jesus by the law we keep. It will know Jesus by the love we show. But we have this law-based babysitting mentality that thinks I can only be unified with you if you're like me. You got to eat the meat that I think you should eat. And you're never going to be free till you grow up. The law had a role for a while, but it's time to grow up in Jesus and be free from that law-based living. Number three, immature Christians focus on approval from God instead of affection for God. Here's what I mean. Your day is spent in relationship to God primarily thinking and obsessing about Am I doing enough? Were you pleased with my day? Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Oh, oh, aren't you happy that I did this? As opposed to simply going about your day enjoying who he is. Let me ask you this question. Is your day focused on doing for God or being with God? Because immature Christians walk around all the time like, oh, 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 I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. Uh, Mature Christians look at a sunrise and say, what what beauty in God's glory. God, I just just want to commune. I don't have to be approval for you because I'm already approved in you. Like that war has already been settled. I just want to enjoy you. You're not going to be free till you grow up. And realize the approval thing was settled at Calvary. Just enjoy Him. Number four. Immature Christians would rather save face than boast in grace. In other words, because they're living for approval, they don't want anybody to know their weakness. 
They don't want anybody to know that they've got anything wrong. Uh, do you have any prayer requests? What prayer requests? Like, <laughs> why would I need prayer, right? So just pray for their pride. That, 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 that's what you immediately pray for when they say that, right? But there's this sense of, I don't want to let anybody know that there's anything wrong. I want to save face. Here's what mature Christians do. I'm a whole lot worse than you think, <laughs> except for who I am in Jesus. You're like Paul. I've only got one ground to boast, and it's Christ and him crucified. You get your performance review, and you're like, I'm a whole lot worse than they know. But I can boast in Jesus because he's my resume. He's my resume. And so there just becomes this freedom to not be fake. So immature Christians are always like, what are other people going to think? Immature Christians who, have, who, who are on a, they're not under a babysitter anymore begin to experience that I am who I am in Jesus regardless of what anybody else says. Here's the last one. Immature Christians assume that following the rules is the same as having a relationship. In fact, what I probably should say here is this may not even be immature Christianity. This is likely no Christianity. Lakeville venue, everybody right here. Some of you today don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, even though you think you do, simply because you followed the church rules. And today I'm pleading with you to grow up and actually accept Jesus Christ and to live by relationship and not by rules. Because at the end of the day, this thing isn't about following the rules. It's about having a living, vibrant relationship with Christ. Amen? So I actually hope some of you will, will, will be saved today because you will see the lie that rules are not relationship, that rules are relationship and that you will trust Christ. So here's the summary of the text. Ready? Here it is. Has this been good? Oh, I've loved teaching it. Oh, it's so good. Here it is. Here's a summary. Uh, the problem with performance is the more you try to be free, the more enslaved you become. So rather than try to achieve acceptance, justification, approval, by performance, receive acceptance by God's promise in Jesus. Because if performance has proven anything, it's you need God's promise. So grow up and be free. Howard Hendricks, the professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, shared a story about walking on campus, and he saw this girl by herself, and, and she had this sad expression on her face, and he walked up to her, and he said, well, what, what's the matter? Is everything okay? And she looked at Professor Hendricks, and she said, um, I'm okay under the circumstances. And he looked at her, and he said, my dear girl, what in the world are you doing under there? Why would you want to be under your circumstances? And you say, Pastor, today I'm burnt out. Pastor, I'm stuck spiritually. Pastor, the more I try, the more I fail. But I'm doing the best I can under the law. And I say to you, what in the world are you doing under there? You jarhead? No wonder 
you haven't eaten from God's word lately. No wonder there's a spiritual drought in your life. No wonder the circulation of joy in God has been cut off because you're living in bondage. And if you don't experience the freedom that is found in Jesus, it's only a matter of time until you're dead. But the good news of the gospel is that the crown of thorns was placed on the head of Jesus so the jar of bondage could be removed from ours. And it may be painful, but it is liberating. Because when the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, oh God, I pray by your word that you have made it absolutely clear that the pathway of performance will never justify. But there is a promise. Thank you, God, there is a promise that is given to us in Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is believe the promise, receive it by faith. It's the only way we're free. And I, I really do, I do pray that by your spirit, some of us today would grow up. Um, we're 40 years old spiritually and still under a babysitter. And we wonder why we have a big smile and sad eyes. And nobody wants what we have. Oh, set us free. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.